0: Hello and welcome to episode number 11 of the Help Me Coach podcast with myself Dermot Byrne and my co-host Shane O'Hanlon. Last week we took a look at the area of communication and how it's a skill that can be practiced and improved. We talked about body language, group management, building rapport and the use of coaching language with lots of practical tips for coaches to use. So make sure to check that out and all previous episodes as well. This week, the focus is on competition and its place in children's sport. As usual, we will have our updates and current affairs. But before we get into this episode, make sure to share, like, subscribe, tweet, all the usual stuff that we ask you to do to help us grow the podcast and get the message out to as many coaches as possible. So now that we have that out of the way, let's get stuck into this week's episode. Channel, how are you doing this week?
1: Good D, yeah, we're, we're, we're back at it again, so um, we're on a roll now it seems, the weeks are flying around fairly quick, how's yep. things with you, how's the week been?
0: Episode 11, Um, yeah, we're, we're look, uh, same as usual really, you know, it was quite this week, um, nothing too major again, just uh, enjoying a bit of sunshine and enjoying a little bit of German football, whatever I can can see. Uh, I was watching Borussia Dortmund and uh, Bayern Munich there on Tuesday evening. I was a little bit disappointed, to be honest. I was hoping Dortmund might win to make it, I suppose, interesting for the rest of the season. That if they close the gap, you know, there there might be a bit of excitement. And especially when you're watching a league that you wouldn't watch regularly, um, you're looking for, for that extra little bit for the bit of excitement because. You know, I suppose you don't follow it on a regular ba- regular basis, and you don't have an affinity to a certain team or that. So, um, the closer the competition, you know, the, the better it is, or the better the run in. But, um, Munich won the are uh, seven points clear now, so they they look nailed on for the title. Um, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But look, it I suppose it's great to have a bit of live sport back into telly, and and you know just watching for the last couple of weeks, and and um, having something to tune into. But uh, other than that, just the usual, just tipping away with a bit of running. So my my big time trial is is tomorrow. I've the I've the date set for tomorrow that I'm I'm going for a, a sub twenty four five uh, k. So we'll see how that goes. How about you? Yeah,
1: no bother to you. Yeah, which is on that. I suppose mentioned last week we we were doing a kind of a a physical challenge with the just me on uh, football and hurling team. Um, so we did last week's challenge, it was a 5k. Now, I I didn't do another attempt after my one, my most recent one that we talked about last week. I was a bit disappointed, just didn't get, didn't make the time. And once I didn't get the time, didn't make the time. But um, this week's challenge or next week's challenge is a, an 8k challenge, <clears throat> but you have to do it in four separate runs. So you can either do four 2k's or you can do a 3k, 2k, 1k, uh, whatever combination to make up. 8k so i actually did it this morning and my original plan was i was going to do half it this morning and half of it later on but when i got going i said if i stopped now i might never get going again so i took it on this morning i got through it more comfortably than than what i thought but i kind of worked it in a way that i knew my i I was going to end on 1k i did 3k 2k 2k and 1k and the last 1k was kind of all downhill so that was it that was a big help um because if i had to go up and down, or mm-hmm. even on the background at that stage, I say it was fairly spent. But um, look, like last week, I, I'm not, and I'm not a, I'm not converted to kind of distance running or anything like that. But look, it is enjoyable as a substitute for getting out. And I uh, said we made a bit of a competition between ourselves. Um, anyway, so we're all putting the, our times up on Strava and things like that. So um, it's it's it keeps you more interested than if you're just going off to do it, you know yeah yeah um, definitely the
0: bit of competition as we said last week the competition is is the thing that helps especially if you're if you're involved in team sport and and we're going to talk about competition in this episode uh, and yeah. the, the competition definitely just drives you on and, and when you're competitive in your nature i think it, it drives you on whereas i think if, if i was going out running for the sake of running i'd be i'd be like that as well i don't think i'd i'd stick with it for too long i think it's it's the element of okay here's the goal and this is what i want to achieve and and there's a result. You either achieve it or you don't. That that's what kind of gets it for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, other than that, now I last week, I kind of I was saying I was I had shifted my viewing habits in terms of Netflix and stuff. But if anything, not deliberately, I think I seem to have went back the other way. I met up first um, we a couple of weeks ago. Um, Paul in Dublin. They recommended the the Rodman for Better or Worse, um, ESPN documentary. So I, I dug that up and watched it and yeah i wasn't disappointed at all there was very little basketball and there was a lot of everything else and look it was it was great it was actually Shuluki, obviously he had a very um sort troubled background and 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 personal life outside of basketball and stuff like that so it was kind of um everything it was sad it was you know it was um but it, but it was very very interesting and you just see the kind of full dynamics of the guy the actual basketball was only probably a very small part of of, of what made him he was, you know. Yeah. Um also watched and um, You'd love it now the, the Stephen Gerrard documentary. I hadn't actually seen it in full, the one on Amazon, um, Make Us Dream. Um, really good. Um again if you're a Liverpool Liverpool fan obviously, but I'd say it'd be good for anyone with an interest, some 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 good stuff again from a coaching point of view in it. Um there was discussions there early on there with Mike alone, and they were talking about how him and Gerrard were came on the same team but they were able to see things happening. And make decisions quicker when they were playing together at underage up along. They just felt so comfortable with each other. That all feeds into to your coach's role in terms mm-hmm. of helping your players become decision makers. Um, then I've kind of I've half started watching another two or three. If you are really uh, binging on the sports documentaries now, but I have uh, the I am Bolt Usain Bolt one. I, ha- I had started watching it, but I'd missed the start, so I have it recorded now to go back on it um one another one of the espn documentaries the muhammad and larry is um larry holmes fought muhammad ali at the last fight of his career when when ali was well and truly finished and it was a bit of a circus and should never have happened um it was um tough tough watching for a lot of it because they actually knew each other they were fairly they were fairly friendly i think they would aspire together and stuff like that before it was it was kind of um it was people trying to cash in on Ali before he retired really and he should have well and truly finished I think he was 42 or 3 when he right, did yeah. it and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and another one that, that I, I, I started that I'm <laughs> going to go back to is um, it's called Q-Ball and it's about, it was one of the recommended after I finished the last dance it was uh, the um, uh, San Quentin prison in California so it's with the basketball team there and they have uh, links to the Golden State Warriors and stuff and it's very interesting now um,
0: Q-Ball is that your new nickname?
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. Other than that, uh, I I've mentioned earlier, I shaved my head, took a notion. Obviously, the hairdressers still aren't open or the barbers or that. Um, I got my wife to cut a few weeks ago, but I started to take this opportunity to shave my head. I used to when I was younger. I was a lot younger. But uh, unfortunately, I thought it would hide the grey hairs. But it's, it's done the opposite, so... Yeah, probably more like a cue ball, all right, now at this stage. Fair play.
0: It's actually interesting. Just when you're talking about shaving heads and that, I saw something on on Twitter there during the week about um the Celtic player Scott Brown, and to, like I think everybody thought Scott Brown was bald, but but he just shaves his head. Like he's a full head of hair, but he just shaves his head, and I think it's a dedication to being like the hard man. Do you know that. The type, man, yeah. of, the
1: type of player that he is, so uh, I see him. Uh, well, uh, Mac now. It's, it's a, you know it's just a, tidy, a buzz cut as opposed to a Mac tree So it's not. Yeah. I'm more the Connor Callahan look now. You know that kind
0: of. Oh, you need to take the next step. You need to take the next step.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we'll
0: see, yeah, the, the hard man, the hard man look is what you're going for, anyway.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, other than that, we had we, we had another couple of messages in again. Um, we did with another with another um. Message there, a retweet there from a guy we've probably bought up Pat Quigley there in Wexford. Pat would have been the physio with the Wexford minor hurlers the last <laughs> couple of years, and he just he he passed on our, our tweet. It was actually the two episodes ago he was talking about when we when we looked at sports psychology stuff. Um, and he just said it was a must listen for coaches or anyone that has an interest in sport. And uh, just to give Pat a shout out, he's doing a five k a day run for for crumbling Hospital at the moment. So. Anyone does want to to log in there. I think we retweeted his tweet. You can click in and show if you want to show him some support, us so for a really good cause. So fair play to him on that. Yeah, again, I'm... another few thanks and, thanks and well done and things like that as well. So again, we'll, we'll say it. Keep them coming in. Keep the messages coming in because it's great.
0: Absolutely, and and I think from us doing a little bit of running and whatever, that you know, a couple of five k's a week to to do one every day for a whole month is serious dedication and and you know it is something that that he deserves kudos on so if you are listening to this um you can find him through our our twitter page as well and and, you know go back to him and just give him a a bit of support there it it goes a long way so um well done on that Pat. um yeah is that everything for this week shane we move on to current affairs
1: yeah let's go for it okay
0: Right, so current
1: affairs this week, what have we got? Yeah, so our current affairs, as I said, they're they're getting slightly more current uh, as we go. Um, Yeah, you mentioned about uh, the the Bundesliga, uh, Bayern Munich beating Dortmund. Um, So, look, it effectively means the league is over. It's a bit like the Premiership, you know, it's kind of all all but wrapped up. Um, But look, hopefully... There is more sport coming back on as well. So and look, I have been tuning in the odd time for bits of those games and stuff, and it is it is good to see. Like oh, we, we went over it last week about the differences and stuff like that in the empty stadiums and stuff. But it is it is really good to see, and you can even see now a couple of matches into it, it is becoming more like the real thing. I think it took a game or two for for the players and everyone to get used to it. Um, the on that I suppose the big news there the last few days the Premier League announced their first. Full rounds of fixture, so I think they're, they're going to do a weekend, full weekend, midweek and weekend to get the thing back up and running so that means Liverpool might have it won in a few days um, but, uh, and on that it announced that if it comes to the stage where Liverpool are potentially going to win the league and it would have been an Anfield they're looking at playing at a neutral venue and I suppose it makes sense because if it, just the fears that there'd be crowds, you know, gathering outside or whatever or, or on the streets and stuff. Um look, I dunno. I I lived in Liverpool for, for seven years and we won a FA Cup and stuff over there, got to the Champions League final in the time I was there. And like it's hard to stop them celebrating. Um so I dunno, look hopefully that they'll be sensible and I know recently Liverpool was one of the cities that was heavily affected with COVID nineteen in Britain. So hopefully it won't cause a spike or anything, but Um, but yeah it was interesting that they're actually planning to to play their potential league winning games in another stadium or a neutral venue so that's now all saying that they they are going to get to that stage I hope we're saying it's a formality but um, (laughs) sure
0: hopefully it'll all go wrong and they just won't win any more games the rest of the season and you won't have that problem Shane who won't see any any spike in Liverpool at all Um interesting just again talking about uh the the german league there um i see that uh, in a couple of games they have cardboard cutouts of of people in the stands have you seen that
1: yeah it's, I, I wanted to, i was watching i think it was bayer Le- leberkusen there and uh who were they playing um but yeah, they they were at home and they actually had you know a lot of seats covered with a big tarp but it was pictures of fans like on the tarp and they had um fan noises after the scores and even the, the railings, you know that that change for the ads. They were coming up with pictures of fans and stuff through the game. So look, they're, they're they're trying to make it seem more like normal business or whatever. But I don't know. I just it just it's either one or the other. I think you know. I think they're they're kind of wasting their time at that. Like you know. But as I said to me, and I didn't watch as much this week because I was too busy probably watching some of the, the sports documentaries and Dennis Rodman and stuff. Um, but it's it did seem like the players were getting kind of back to normal. And I, I was kind of, after the first week, Remember, we were saying they were sort of hesitant to tackle each other, it was a bit slow paced. But like for me, they're professional players and they should, if anything, they should be able to improve their game because they don't have the distractions and they can hear each other and communicate and stuff like that. So I was kind of glad to see that happen, you know. Yeah,
0: obviously I think that there's a, a five player substitute rule in there at the moment as well in terms of, fitness and stuff like that that they're allowed five subs instead of three and there's there's lots of little subtle things that you kind of see as you go along but I can't remember the player that it was or the two players involved but I, I saw something there last week as well that um, one player tackled another and you know it was a bad tackle or whatever it was a foul and then he put out his hand to help him up and then realized he couldn't do that so he extended his elbow and then thought no that's not going to work so he just walked away in the end you know like there's, there's so many little yeah. things and, and as we said last week you know they're not really celebrating but yet they're they're hugging each other and grappling when it comes to a corner and and then they're all sweating and yeah. breathing heavy and going back to the change room at uh, the same time like you know so
1: funny in one of the games I watched there was a bit of a schmozzle as well like n- not quite a GAA esque but schmozzle, but there was a lot of you know it got heated, pushing and shoving four mm-hmm. or five players in there was definitely no social distancing going on with that you know
0: yeah yeah
1: um so then yeah look uh, and kind of on a similar note and mentioned with see, in the last sort of week or so there's a few GA players and personalities pundits and stuff are are calling for the games to go ahead behind closed doors and uh, talking about inter-county games um and it's an interesting one because I know it's been a been a quite a controversial bone of contention over the last while that what's the point in playing GA games without supporters you know it's not like professional sports and all that kind of stuff and I, I was kind of on that side of it but uh, you can see the points the players are wanting to get back I think Aidan O'Shea from Mayo came out uh, Bernard Brogan said something on a tweet last week I think as well um, Colin O'Rourke was one of the pundits that I saw mentioned something on it um, look for me you know I, I'm not at an inter level at the moment so I don't, I can't speak for them but I think you would be losing something with it um, by playing behind closed doors as a fan yeah, it'd be great to have some live GA on the telly. Um, So from that end, yeah, it's positive, but look really, and, and maybe people call it a cliche, but the GA, it's, it's all about being there for me, you know, so I think they'd lose something if they did go down that route, but it's, it's very hard to know um, people's hunger for, for games and things like that. If players are willing, Um, you know, and then it won't suit all players. We've seen that professional, um, in some of the, the professional teams as well, like in sports, that's, players aren't all willing, you know, there might be a few that their circumstances won't allow. So so it is it is hard to know um, yeah, it's, where it's, that one will go.
0: It's yeah. going to create decisions for players and and they're going to have to look at it and say, you know, is it worth going back or is it not? And like we've all been, been at games where a high catch or, a, do you know, a block or, a, do you know, the, the tack, a tackle at the right time, has lifted the crowd and you hear the roar of the crowd go up. And then all of a sudden there's a five minute purple patch for that team. And, and it's all down to a spark in the game, sparks the crowd and like it builds a reaction from from the players. And like sometimes games are won and lost from the reactions of a crowd. like, And we talk about home advantage and home advantage is often to do with the crowd. And, you know, mm. for me, I just, I, I don't know, like grand in, in the sense of professional sport, players are getting paid hundreds of thousands a week. You know, there's millions going into the club from TV revenue and stuff like that. Yeah. But like when we bring it back home and we're talking about GAA, like they are amateur players and they're, they're you know, they have, to go, they have to go to work or they have to kind of get on with their normal lives. And there's risks in terms of of spreading stuff to, to family members as well. Um. you know, and it's not as if they're getting paid hundreds and thousands every week, mm-hmm. you know, to, to justify this, the risk. So for me, like I I just I don't know. I don't I don't see it being something that, that's I suppose top of the list that, that it has to happen. I am like you, I'd love no. to see, you know, some live matches on the telly, I'd love to be able to attend live matches, of course. Everybody would, you know, especially with the good weather now, you'd only be dying to get back up and see stuff and, and back involved and, and get it all back and running. But until it's it's a scenario where it, it can be done safely and you know the, the risk is is absolute minimal and and you know you're you're i suppose it becomes as close as possible to what it would have been before um i don't know i don't know yeah uh, do you know look if, if it does and, and, and if it does come back and it works then well and good but um but yeah i don't know i don't know that's kind of what my thoughts are on it i, I haven't kind it's of gotten a one way yeah. or the other
1: but, but in fairness, and the last little point I had for current affairs, like, look, the, the GA, obviously we're we're both working for the GA and stuff, so we can see firsthand a lot of the stuff that's going on, and the, we've spoke about the webinars and different things to put putting out. But there's even there's even more stuff going out recently, you know, in Wexford there. There was uh, Wellbeing Week, which, Wexford GA, and a few of the things that went about with that, as well as, you know, tips for, for kids at home and, and, and more of the challenge type stuff so that was... Quizzes. There was podcasts. It was great. Reeling in the year shows where, where they went through, you know, specific periods of time or teams. And um, like they had the Camogie in a row team, they had the 2008 football team, and they had the '96 uh, Harlan team, and they picked maybe three or four players, uh, two or three players, and the manager from each of those eras, and went through. And it was really, really brilliant. They'll all be going up on YouTube next week as well. So um, for for people to watch back on, it'll be it'll be great. Not just for extra people, it'll be of interest. To people all over the country and the other thing then at national level the GA sent out a coaching review um, questionnaire that, the, that they were looking at um, so if you haven't seen it I think uh, again on Twitter it's ga's own official Twitter account it's been retweeted I think we might have even retweeted it and helped me coach but um it, it'd be worth filling out for for coaches because look like like all probably I suppose companies and businesses the GA are taking this time to do a review of where they're at And it's your chance to get your kind of feedback in and stuff that will help in in making the whole uh, organisation better from a coaching point of view going forward. So just thought that'd be worth mentioning in in the current affairs for this week.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anybody that, you know, that is from a coaching background get your opinion out there and you know there's no there's no harm in sharing it and and filling out the survey and and see what comes of it down the line because it is it is an opportunity to to influence the future of of coaching so um i'd echo that Get, get definitely look it up and get the survey filled out um is that it for current affairs this week shane that's it for this week yeah brilliant right we'll get stuck into our main topic so Right, Shane. So this week's main topic, we're going to talk about competition and its place in children's sport. I suppose we probably spread that, you know, between child and starting off up to maybe, you know, teenage years and kind of the, the late teenage, maybe minor in terms of GA, youth, soccer, that kind of stuff. Um. So in terms of its place, we're talking about, you know, obviously some kids are naturally competitive and, you know, whether that's healthy and unhealthy and how to factor it into your training session. Um, we'll have a look at some fun games, maybe, and how that interacts. Uh, talk about participation medals and are they appropriate or not? Um, we'll we'll mention as we go along as well, uh, bringing players from a selfish point of view, you know, and being ultra competitive in their own right, and how we spread that into a team scenario, um, and then just kind of rounding it all up, I suppose, about keeping keeping people involved. So starting us off, then looking at the, like the natural competitiveness from kids do you know what's what's healthy what's unhealthy can you give us your thoughts
1: yeah yeah look it's this is a, this is an interesting topic and i suppose it's one we've touched on loads of different times and we knew we were going to cover in detail as well so i almost feel like we need to put out a disclaimer for this one because it's it's going to strike nerves and there is differences of opinion in terms of what's healthy competition what's not um i sometimes see the, the way sport has gone now and and that it some people are of the attitude that it should be all non-competitive all you know you mentioned participation medals things like that, but look we are as human beings, children, they're naturally competitive to an extent so some people are more competitive than others, and I think in the past, what's happened, coaches who have been uneducated or, or, or didn't know any better were sort of driving competitiveness in in children. And for the, for the majority of children, they didn't want that competitiveness. That, that level of competitiveness wasn't in them or, or wasn't what they were striving for. Um, now, there is, there's there's some that, that have it and have are ultra-competitive and too competitive at young ages, and we'll talk about that as well. But, look, I suppose for me, before we get stuck into it, I'd like to say competition in children is not a bad thing. It's up to us as the adults how we manage it and how we how we control it and how we use it as a learning tool. Like the fun and participation should still be paramount and should still be number one, but competition is there. So it's up to us as coaches. In my opinion, this isn't a this isn't a, a, a help me coach or a whatever opinion, it's Shane O'Hanlon's opinion, that competition is something that we nurture because it's there and, and that we, we it's our job as coaches, really, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just picking up on on two things you said there. Um, the first one in terms of um, in terms of children being being naturally competitive, like it is, it is a natural thing for for children to be competitive, and and uh, you know we we see it like in siblings and sibling rivalry, and we see it in all sorts of scenarios in school. They want to achieve and everything like that. But for me, like the first thing, I suppose, it comes down to who's driving the competition is the competition within the child is it a natural thing that they they want to excel at whatever they're doing um or is it coming from the parent or the coach that it's been pushed on them like that they have to go out Mm. and they have to be the best and and uh they have to you know they have to compete and, and and win at all costs kind of a thing so so for me healthy competition is if it's if it's a natural thing that's within a child that it's coming from them that they want to push themselves to excel, that that's what's healthy for me. Whereas unhealthy would be, it's an agenda that's been pushed on the child from an adult. And and mm-hmm. I suppose what I what I'd add to that is like what I don't like seeing when I when I'm out and about and I'm coaching and, and interacting with different coaches and different teams, is seeing the competition coming from the coach and the coach driving it on from the sideline saying you know, basically just taking over and, and making it about them. We always talk about it being child-centred and, you know, player-centred coaching rather than being about the coach themselves. And, and especially at young ages, when you see coaches dictating to kids and, you know, making it so much about them, that's unhealthy for me. Um,
1: yeah.
0: The other point like, that I had is, is completely gone out of my head. So if it comes back in, I'll, I'll circle back around to it because I did have two yeah. points. That was no, one, just come back to
1: the other one. Well, I picked up on there, just as you were saying, it you, and it's something, again, we spoke about. Like, you know, when, when we talk about competitiveness and, and maybe maybe I'm coming across, like, you know, there, there has to be an element of it. But a lot of fun games that we play, there's an element of competition in them as well. Do you know, maybe even, you know, the likes of bib tag, where if you lose your bib, you're on and, and it's the last person standing. Like, there's no real losers in that game, but there is a winner. And generally, your, your kids that will go far in that game are the same kids that that do want to win more when you, when you go into organized kind of matches and stuff like that. So it's it's important that we use the fun games as well to kind of to create that healthy kind of that competition. Look, and there's times for just silly fun games as well, and they're just as important and probably more important the younger you go down. But we do have to accommodate that kind of need for for a bit of competition that's built in as well. Like we, we spoke and we mentioned about games-based coaching, what's the first thing. A child is going to ask you at training, like when are we playing a match? When are we playing a game? So that's that's built out of the kind of competition or their image of what training should be, or them watching games on television or, or other teams playing or older siblings. So they know what they should be doing. So we do have to sort of give them a taste of it in the right way, um you know. And if you do overload the kind of fun, the kind of nicey nice stuff, and and that are you in danger of kind of blunting that? Healthy competition, if it's already there. Now, I, I suppose I'm suppose I'm I'm speaking more on that end. Like that's probably the smaller number of players, rather than the the large, the, the majority. Um, but those players that probably have the drive in them that you'd nearly you'd nearly be able to tell from a young age that they're going to go far. Or they're going to play into adulthood. Maybe you know it's it's those that I would be afraid of that too much of the fun, too much of this. Everyone gets medal participation stuff will have a negative effect on their development. But then we need to get the balance right between those that aren't as competitive. We want to keep them coming along, which is ultimately the the goal, you know. So it comes back to, to you know, the individual. You mentioned player-centered individual approaches to our coaching, putting the player at the center of the thing and, and and working out how we're going to accommodate different levels, not only of ability, but now we're talking about competitiveness, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it it's completely okay. down to what you're saying. The finding a balance, um, that that example of of a fun game, it can be inclusive but competitive at the same time. And there's loads of examples there. You use fox and hounds or bib tag or whatever whatever different people call it. That you you know everybody's involved, and you don't necessarily get knocked out if you lose your bib. Mm. You're still involved in the game, and 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 you know you're you're participating all the time. But the kid that wants to be competitive and that wants to win that game, there's an opportunity there to do that as well. So everybody can find their own little area within that game, um. And as I said, there's just loads of other games yeah. out there like that too. It's funny that, that you
1: did a point there, and I'm sure we've met it before. But like that, when you are planning these games, really the fun games, are all the children involved all the time? That's that's important so that there is no knockouts. Now I know from going back looking at at summer camps and stuff. And even right back to when I was a beginner coach, one of the go-to games would have been baseline. Now, I'm sure there's loads of different names as well, but it's effectively where the kids line up and there's sort of four lines that you call and they run to, and whoever's last gets knocked out. Now, I remember from doing that, back before I, I was thinking this way about my coaching, you, you could do it maybe three or four times with, with the same group. It'll be the same last four or five kids out of your 20-odd or whatever it is, at the end so that really for that game majority of your kids are spending their time standing watching other kids you know competing with each other and look for the ones at the end like we're saying they're probably the most competitive ones so if they were knocked out early it would be tougher on them but you're kind of having a, it's a double negative for the ones that have been knocked out you're reinforcing that they're not as strong or as fast or whatever it is as the other ones so it's it's kind of creating a divide that we want to get away from you know we want to we want to accommodate the different levels, but we don't want to highlight anybody is at a lower level than anyone else, if that if that makes sense, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I suppose we can do that through our games as well. Do you know, we'll have mixed ability teams sometimes, and, and sometimes we might pair them off of similar abilities. And, do you know, whether you're, that's in a training session or are going to play, do you know, in bits days or one-off matches and stuff like that, we can we can judge that as we go along throughout the season as well, do you know, that you'll yeah. you'll put as I said, similar abilities together for one week and then the next week it'll be mixed abilities. So it doesn't look as obvious that you're trying to work on different things with different kids. Mm. Um,
1: that That's really important too from in terms of when we talk about competitiveness, healthy, competit- healthy competitiveness is, is learning how to win in a healthy way and learning how to lose in a healthy way. So if we do, if we are going to little blitzes and stuff, it's very important that our players experience losing, you know, fairly regularly not all the time obviously because that'll have possibly a negative effect but that they do get familiar with it because it's going to happen you know it's, it's something that is inevitable in sport you know no matter matter who you are no matter how good you are i mentioned muhammad ali earlier on you know he was i think he he went from being world champion at the age of 38 to a guy who looked like he he should never have been letting a ring three or four years later you know um losing is going to happen so we have to learn to do it. And even back to that example, he was probably so ultra-competitiveness that he couldn't give in to the fact that he couldn't compete at the same level. So there was probably, now we're talking an individual sport there, and we're talking the whole other extreme of one of the greatest ever to be involved in the sport. But he probably couldn't let go of that competitiveness. So it was probably an unhealthy competitiveness at that stage, you know. Um, so jumping right back to, to what we are talking about with the younger kids, you know, your stronger players, the guy who's always winning the relay races or, or the, the likes of that, those, those running games, he's the last one caught or whatever, and the same kid that does most of your scoring or is on the ball loads in your games, he has to experience being on the receiving end or on the losing end of, of things from time to time um, you know, and in order to develop that player as a whole as well. Likewise, some of the weaker players' games need to be designed where they're, they're the person achieving something. You know, and and we really do have to. There is so many fun games out there, and different things we can we can use to set it up in that kind of way. But again, it's back to our coaching and 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 how we we accommodate those different levels. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's the the phrase that's used there? Um, win or learn rather than win or lose, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, yeah. Just in terms, then, like we're talking about, obviously a lot of fun and participation and using fun games, and and that can obviously be competitive, like. Is there a danger of losing the competitive nature in children if things are too you know let's call it fluffy and nice and you know everybody's involved and there's nobody loses and everybody gets a medal like you said like do you know mm-hmm. what's your thoughts on I know you mentioned earlier like in terms of participation yeah, medals or me. are...
1: this is where it almost put the the disclaimer because this is probably it's it's probably just my opinion and i i'm I'm sure there's people that would disagree, but I think. There's a generation of players now who are probably in their late teens now, um, who got a medal every time they turned up to a blitz. You know, um, and for me, like I, I remember working with um, the first year the GA went back to under seventeen. That was the, it was still a minor, still an under eighteen. I remember working with both groups, but I think in particular the under seventeens because their age had been moved around in different things, and they they were probably part of that generation that that had a got a medal every time they turned they put on their hel- helmet this was hurling so um i think there was maybe a, a bit of a th- there wasn't the resilience there that you'd, you'd like to see by the time you're at 17 and you're about to go into to your adults um adult sport you know and i i do think the, the participation medals and the, the fluffy apo- approach as you're calling it i'm using my inverted commas here <laughs> um i think that had had a part to play in that in a negative way. You know, now look, I was dealing with a, a development squad or, or a minor team, so it was probably those more competitive, um, higher level players that we're talking about anyway. But even though, I think some of this, kind of the edges had been knocked off those, you know. Um, and look, I think, I know it did go, kind of, it went back, it scaled back on the, comp- the, the, the non-competitiveness a little bit after that. But I do think you know, we we need to get the balance right. Participation medals are okay every so often, you know, but but to get a medal without having earned it, I think is is having a negative effect on um, a player a player's development long term. And that's personally me. And and that might be some people mightn't agree with that, but I really do think that. I know I I was very proud of. I think I had only won medal by the time I was under ten, and it was a district football medal that we won. Now look, that was a winning competition the way it was structured back then, which was wrong. But I'm I, that's still in my drawer with my senior medals and, and and other medals that I've won, Leinster medals and stuff. That's in the same same little little box uh, as those, you know. So uh, there has to be some sort of ch- sense of achievement, really, to to be rewarded, you know. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I suppose kind of picking up on that, like for me, I'd say, in, yeah, in terms of the participation medals, that they're, you know, they're being handed out like confetti, and and they lose a meaning. They don't have a meaning. They just get you know thrown in the airbag or whatever and probably lost over time as well because they don't actually have an association with something it's just i got that there last weekend and try to get another one in two weeks time for me like i i much prefer going down the route of, of giving them something that's going to improve them so whether that's you know a slitter and a grip or whether it's a football or whatever it might be giving them something that can improve them in their game um if it's like a participate or sorry a uh not a certificate of c- completion but like a medal for completing a season that if they you know have attended a certain amount of sessions or attended a certain amount of blitzes or something like that that they they've been there and they've stuck with it for a year and at the end of the year they get something like that that I'm fine with that you know that's participation based and and it's given them something it's a sense of achievement they've they've put in the work and they've got something out the other end whereas you know just turning up to a blitz and and playing for a couple of hours and getting a medal at the end of it there's no value on the medal Um mm. so yeah I, I, I kind of yeah. again my personal opinion links quite closely with you there I'd have have a similar opinion that I just think it loses its meaning Um
1: yeah I mean it's not that um, you know participation medals are, are wrong but you need to have earned them as in as you said you know if they've involved all the year and, and you know it's a final year blitz and and, and turned up for every game or the majority of games whatever it is and, and that Then, then they do deserve a medal, definitely, and they deserve to be rewarded for their efforts. But uh, I'm not saying that that there's not a place for them, you know. Um, But, but definitely, like like giving out like confetti, confetti, as you says, that kind of grinds me a little bit, you know.
0: Yeah, you talked about you. You mentioned it there earlier as well, like players having to learn how to win and learn how to lose gracefully as well. Like it's important. And and now look, I suppose we're probably talking about, you know, we're maybe. 11, 12 at this stage, you know, late goal games when it comes to GAA or kind of the start of competition in, in soccer and that as well. um, It is important to like, to understand that kids will keep a score regardless if we don't, they'll know if they've won, if they've won or they've lost and, and not to shy away from addressing it, like every game can't always end in a draw, do you know? And then sometimes you get away with that in training and say, what was the score? How was a draw? Do you know? And, and they'll accept it sometimes. But like a lot of the time, Kids actually know what's going on, and and they're they're used to keeping score in school, and they're used to winning and losing and stuff like that. So we want to bring that into our games as well, and, and get them used to, you know, it not going right for them on a day, and and we either win or we learn what happens. Mm. If we win, we learn from it. If we lose, we learn from it, and and we understand that days are going to be like that, where where it just doesn't go right for us and we do lose and, and we have to react in the right way to that. And there's no point in going off crying and sulking and falling out with everybody. And it's been everybody else's fault. We have to say, okay, well, we didn't win the match. That's it. It's, it's an under, it's an under 11 game or it's an under 13 game or it's an under 15 game. So be it. There's lots of years for me that I can't win the next game or, you know, there's loads of games there that I can win in the future. So I suppose when it comes back to, to that point of you saying that it is important for players to, to like, learn and develop the, the understanding of winning and losing as well like it's a, it's, it's not a skill but it's something as part of the game that they have to develop over time
1: yeah definitely and look one of the things there i suppose we're getting to like we're talking about probably certain players at different levels different levels of competition and some of the times and it can be nurtured if the coach's attitude to competition is unhealthy would be the sort of the, the player that's selfish or the, the me versus the us approach when it's a team and again that's our job probably as coaches to do that like you know and i know you'd have a few things on this where where, where you'd like to see done and stuff like that but so how do you how do you get the player that is maybe a little bit ultra competitive and selfish in terms of wanting to win and it's that player that you know picks up the ball and goes off crying when they lose like how do we address that as as coaches
0: yeah, look, I suppose there's no easy answer to it because every child is individual and every coach is individual in how they deal with these things. But, like, little tips is in, I suppose, making it games-based and uh, conditions on the game, like that everybody has to touch the ball before a score can be achieved or, you know, it's extra points for the kids that are a bit more timid and maybe not not involved as much or not as competitive. If they get a goal or they get a score, then... Do you know, could be worth a certain amount more, and just put a different color bib on them to identify. So, the red bibs is worth two goals, the green bibs is worth one goal, and the orange bibs is worth three goals. Do you know, something like that. So, you're identifying your players, but you're not saying this is a weaker player, or, this is a stronger player. It's just something as simple as, do you know, a, a color coded mm-hmm. bib. Um, I suppose, as well, like as we develop through different ages and that for, for a player, sometimes you can have a forward that wants to take on the shot all the time, and, do you know, maybe he's. We're talking about under 15, under 17 now, his understanding of, of a different position. If he's a corner forward or a wing forward, he mightn't understand the the position of corner back or, or, uh, or wing back and understand what that player has to go through. So like trialing different players in different positions. So if you have a forward playing the backs for a couple of games and let them develop an understanding of what a back actually has to go through in a game and it'll develop his game in two ways. He'll understand what his teammates have to go through. So he become, he, he develops his empathy towards um, how other players are playing the game. And then he's developing an understanding of, okay, this is what a back has to do. So, now I can use that to my advantage, and you
1: know yeah, it's more tools in the a, toolkit. There, that's a good point, and um, we we've mentioned it before about sort of developing players' decision making. You know, if they're always going to be a forward, give them opportunity to play in the backs and, and learn it. But if that's that's re- a really good way of like getting the maybe the selfish player or the ultra competitive player to I, I, enlighten them in, with a bit of empathy in terms of what you know the backs do if he's the guy who always has to be scoring. You know, maybe he'll, uh, teach him the understanding of the game as a whole, and that's really important, I think. And it's, it'd be really powerful in terms of of understanding competitiveness and 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 um, what's what's healthy, what's not, or kind of you know helping knocking the edges off that guy who's who sulks when when he doesn't get his own wage. You know, um, I think it'd be a really good, really good exercise.
0: Yeah, yeah. And look, like it does happen. We see it at, at, at like again we're talking about GEA here but we're talking like goal games level we see it quite often where a player is ultra competitive and probably you know coming from home a little bit where he's older siblings or you know his parents might have been involved in GEA, and he's just really interested in it and you know he attends all the senior matches and and that's about competition and he wants to replicate that in his game or she wants to replicate that in her game and um and it happens and, you know, they get upset when they lose and whatever. But I suppose as a coach, then it's just an opportunity to address it. And, and this is where we talk about our communication last week. It's it's how you react to that, that you don't, you know, you, you probably don't accept it. You don't say that's OK. You, you have to address it in some way or another. But but it's trying to get the, the point or the lesson across to that child that mm. you're not going and to win. We- you're going to play, play for, for 10 or 15 years. You're not going to win every game. And, and how you react to it is important.
1: Yeah, and even like you mentioned about communication, one of the things we spoke about last week was that, you know, uh, we, we need to learn know our players individually and have different conversations with, with all our different players to, to suit them. So I think that's, that's one way, you know, you need to be able to, you need to be able to, Talk to that player, you know that ultra competitive child. That's that uh, we, we're saying it the whole time. That is yeah. sulking so yeah. or that's whatever. Like, um, you need to be able to talk to that child in a way. And, and if you've done all the things we spoke about last week and we've spoken about them before, if you've built up a bit of trust, built up a relationship with them, that they'll understand where you're coming from. Even you asking them questions, you know, why are you getting so upset? Well, if you know because we didn't win. Well, if you'd have passed the ball around more, well, could we have won? Or you know, try to get them to arrive at that answer, um. So yeah like I think I think th- th- there's loads we can do um on that end like there's there's lots there's lots of things we can do but it really does come back to combination of everything you know talking to our children knowing understanding them understanding what makes them tick or what doesn't make them tick so and accommodating them but but really your point there are different positions and stuff I think is really powerful for not just in this situation but in terms of overall development of understanding of the game yeah. you know
0: I suppose that links in as well, like with creating an environment. And again, we're kind of drifting more towards the the late youth um age group here, but comp- uh, developing a competitiveness within a squad or within a team as well, that you have competition for places and, um you know, that, that, that you have multiple players going for the same position, which oh, everybody has to up their game. And, and, you know, you've probably a better standard across the board. Um, so so, how would how do we go about kind of developing that that there's a healthy competition, but yet it it's not focused solely on selfishness. There's a there's a selflessness. Like again, I I, I kind of use Man United a lot in these these examples. But in '99, when when United went on to win the treble, you had Andy Cole and Dwight York were the main strikers, and then you had Teddy Sheringham and Ali Sulshar. Do you know they were fantastic players, and they would have probably got into any of the other uh, nineteen teams in the Premier League and been been starting players, you have to keep players happy. But there's a competition for places there as well. Like in your opinion, how do you go about that? Yeah, well, look, if, if
1: we're scaling it back and we're talking with even not right down, if you're even talking with you players, it comes back to your your coaching philosophy. That um, you your, are you thinking long term? Are you thinking short term? Are you just there to win? championship at under 15 or are you wanting all these players to, to develop into um into you know adulthood and be, be adult players with your club so for me that that will come as maybe you know nurturing that healthy competition but giving everyone a reward even you know you might it might be competition for one spot or for, for a few different places and you might know who the guy ahead of that com- in that competition is in terms of a starting place, but that doesn't matter. You're going to rotate subs in and out. You're going to start different guys each week. Then going back to an early point, starting in different positions so that they're they're used to it, and you're keeping the guys interested. That if you didn't, if they were slightly below in the pecking order, they 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 wouldn't come back to you, you know. Um, so that's why it's important, you know, think long term in terms of keeping everyone happy as opposed to we have to win this championship. That does go back to my earlier point. If you're taking off your better player, you know, just to give someone else a run, that's obvious too. So we do have to accommodate that instead of taking off your star full forward, you know, moving back to center back, bring someone else in, you know, Um, you can't make it probably that obvious. Um, because that'll have the opposite effect, and there will be sulking. That could even be justified if if you keep taking off the the, the star players. But definitely, you know, the, the guys who are who are showing an interest and have a, a, an okay level of competition, <clears throat> you want to you want to feed that appetite, I suppose, in a healthy way.
0: I suppose even just picking up on that, there, Shane. Like it's no harm in in you know the. I suppose we all recognise you're better players in a team. Like it's no harm in giving that player a taste of what it's like to sit on the bench as well and that builds empathy with the rest of the team and you really find out if that player is a team player then as well. Do you know, like, maybe you're not going to do it in your most competitive match of the year but there is games that you can identify that say, that, that you can say right, do you know, Shane, you're one of my better players but not using that language, you're not going to tell them you're one of the better players. But just make the decision, Shane, you're not starting today. And just see what the reaction is. And again, that's looking at competitiveness. And, and you know, you might get to question why. And the toys might be thrown out at the pram or whatever. But it's it's a challenge for you as a coach and, and how you deal with that. But it's no harm for the player to learn what it feels like to to sit on the bench and be a sub. And, do you know, how to react then if they're brought on and again that's just a learning process because ultimately you know like competition is really only competition as we get into you know adult ages and and even beyond that as as you get up to the elite level like we've often said like look the cream your to at the top one way or another your your county players or your professional athletes will kind of get there one way or another whereas other people are just in it for recreation and that's what their level is Um so you know, I suppose as you're getting to fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, don't be afraid to to not be competitive in the game for the sake of developing all of your players. Because if we can get twenty of those players through to adulthood and playing in in an adult um, setting in an adult age grade, you know, whether it's senior, junior, or whatever, whatever league, whatever division. Like ultimately, that's better for for our population, for our country, for everything. Like, do you know? Um, we we can focus a little bit on on winning, even as we get into late teens, and it is competitive, and and I suppose we're training to win, but we're not. We're trained to compete. I suppose more so than training to win. Whereas in in adulthood and and senior levels, we're we're more so training to win. The emphasis is competition, and it is there is winning and losing, and and that's kind of where the emphasis is. Um, yeah and that does that make sense
1: <clears throat> no absolutely and that's like you mentioned the kind of the teenage late teenage um age <clears throat> um like that's probably where 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 this whole topic this competitiveness is at its most deadly um as in you have you know the majority of kids will stay playing up to 14 15 kind of years of age and then there's a massive drop off in every sport um in every country there's a massive drop off at that age and that really is because in some cases, it's almost like a switch is turned, where it just becomes all about winning. The gap between your stronger players and your your less strong players widens at that age generally, and because some lads have went down the route, they're playing in secondary schools or they're playing in academy squads or whatever it might be. So, so that gap widens. So that's where we need to be really tuned in as coaches in terms of how we're managing this competitiveness. You know, um, and definitely if we're feeding it as coaches, if we're adding to it. That's going to turn the players off who who aren't at the same level either you know either in terms of their own competitive appetite or in terms of their ability it's going to turn those players off you know, and we talk about it like you know yeah at, at the higher age of adult or of of youth the youth player at fifteen sixteen seventeen it does become more competitive even though it's probably not supposed to be but but you know we're not going to stay here and say say it doesn't. But we really do have to focus our attentions on, on accommodating those other players there because, like we've said a couple of times already, that competitive player, you said it, the, the cream will rise to the top. You probably don't have to worry about motivating your, your really strong 16-year-old to go out and compete and win. You know, but you might have to motivate your guy who might can get a full game. You might motivate him to come train and what's his drive if he's not sure if he's going to start or not. So that's why it's so important to give them the right opportunity. And going back to last week, the the way we use like you gave the example of telling some of your better fellas that might be they might be starting this week. You know, we do that in in a in a very conscientious way where they understand what you're doing. Likewise, when you're bringing on a guy or maybe taking off a guy who's, who's I suppose weaker for want of a better word, we have to communicate to him. We have to say, look, well done there, really good effort there. We're just trying something different, or you know, acknowledge that that the effort was good and praise the effort as opposed to, as opposed to the result. Really, you know
0: yeah and again, I suppose linking back into last week it comes from clear communication um do you know if you communicate to the players, they're going to understand and and again once you've that relationship built with them they'll they'll understand that you're doing it for the right reasons and I think even something like that like if you're play, taking the player off, it could be look you 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 seem a little bit tired out there, is everything okay at home do you know is everything okay in school or whatever, or look, you're just not at it today do you know that's okay, we all have our bad days, but we'll work on it during the week, I have a couple of things there that I want to work on with you specifically and, you know, players look, they might be a little bit annoyed when it happens when they're taken off and it's fresh, but later, the following week, if you go back to them in that training session and say, these are the couple of reasons that you're taken off, so this is what we're going to focus on in this session with you we want to tidy up those couple of little loose ends with you and, you know, make sure that you're improving all the time so you
1: know yeah, that, that's ultimately are, what I want to do I'd even go a step further with that and, and I know working with you players especially you know we talked about feedback last week and acknowledging positives you know when a player is coming off I'd always you know try to give them well done remember something positive that they've done in the game it might, it might if they've had a nightmare of a game it might be a run that they made or a tackle that they tried to put in or whatever and then you say look fair play to you great effort look we're we'll, even so and so a run or whatever, um, and if they have made an obvious mistake or if they've hit a few wides or whatever it is or lost two balls, like you said, yeah, we're going to work on shooting next week. So you know, you're 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 not taking them off and saying making it obvious that you aren't happy with how they perform. You're acknowledging that they, that they tried at least or some something specific that they tried, and then you're saying, look, we're going to we're going to help you, you know, because that's our job as a coach. Our job is to help our players to improve. So really, with with the teenage players, I think we need to do that um you know there's always confidence issues at that age there's all loads of stuff going on as i said it's the it's the biggest peak time for dropout so we need to do things to to make sure our players know that we as coaches are on their side as well you know
0: yeah yeah i suppose rounding it up then like in terms of like competition is is going to be there at all ages from the time kids come into nursery you're going to see elements of competition and and i suppose our point on it and again it is a, a contentious viewpoint because there will be people that will argue this with us. But and if if that's you, if you do have an opinion on it, as we always say, get in touch. Let us know. But like our opinion is, embrace the competition a little bit. You can play games that 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 allow competition, but yet it's still inclusive that there's nobody knocked out, and and that's important, especially at the youngest age groups. And I think the the competition structures that, especially within the GA and goal games and things like that, that's kind of the way it's geared is we want to emphasize everybody gets an equal opportunity and there's no winners and losers and that, that's absolutely fine we agree with that but that's not to say that kids don't know themselves if they won or lost the game and by addressing it and, and engaging with it that's absolutely fine as we get into a kind of early teen then you know the competition starts to kick in but again we have to be mindful that we challenge players in in different ways that we put them in different positions and give them an empathy that it's, it's, it's going from a selfish mindset of competition to a, a, a kind of a, 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 an us approach, as you said, or, or it's going from the me to a we. So it's, it's a team effort rather than an individual. So we're trying them in different positions and we're making sure that they're aware that other players have a part to play in their success. And then as we get to, to the, the late youth stage, then as we talked about kind of minor youth, um, minor ga or or youth soccer or or rugby or whatever it might be obviously it is becoming more competitive and there is more of an emphasis on winning at that stage but we still have to be uh, mindful and understanding that there's it's still a development stage that yes we embrace it but we can still do different things by leaving our player on the bench our star player as we said on the bench and bring them on and letting them have that understanding of how that feels and 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 uh and develop in that way. And again, as we as we mentioned as well, it's a win or learn. And even if we win, we still learn. We learn from winning. We learn from losing. And it's mm-hmm. it's all development. Uh, it's really only we get to the the latter stages that then um, that you know the real real competition kicks in, and and you know that that it becomes more and more important. And I think you emphasized the point really nicely, Shane, that like. That dropout age of, you know, 14, 15, 16 is so prevalent in every sport and and we don't want to be losing kids out of sport. It's really important that they they stay involved and and feel included and feel that they have an identity within it. And we're not going to do that by being over competitive and the competitiveness coming from the coach. The Mm. coach has to facilitate the competitiveness that's within a child, within a youth, within a teen, whatever it might be. there's if you identify that it's within somebody embrace it and you can react in one way and if it's not within another person you know you have to react slightly different but ultimately we want to keep as many people involved in our games as we can and we want to get them the whole way through that they are actually playing at an adult level and then if it's high competitiveness and, and as we said the cream rising to the top or if it's just participation and and a recreation that they do it to stay fit and they do it because they enjoy the game. That's ultimately where we want to be because everybody does find their own level, but it's just how we, how we act and, and, um, you know, how appropriate our, our reaction is to it.
1: Yeah. No, couldn't have put us couldn't have put it better. Like you said, find your own level, you know, probably the amount of guys out there who, who have probably given up sport at, at a teenage or late teenage years that mm-hmm. would probably love to go out and play a bit of, you know, lower league soccer or, or, or junior b hurling a football and stuff to that but just they just had given up and they're, they're not going to go back at it now in their, in their adulthood and stuff and that's i i do find uh that that often upsets me and i suppose i was probably the other end of the scale coming up i was one of that, them ultra competitive kids that was probably too competitive when i look back at it even in terms of underage with my teammates and things like that i was probably probably trying to win all the time even in training and stuff but that's the majority or that's sorry that's the minority of, of children that we're going to coach the majority are those that we just want to keep you know playing at a social enjoyable level like that's really the key to it you know
0: absolutely absolutely right uh I think that's it for, for this week. Um hopefully we triggered a few thoughts or opinions which during this episode. Uh if we did, as we said, they're adjourning it. Uh, make sure to get in touch, send us a message, tweet us, um, whatever it may be. Uh text us if you know us. Um, because there is such different opinions on this and, and everybody, you know, will look at it in a different sense. And I suppose if you're coaching at different age groups, you're gonna look at it slightly differently as well. But we do we always love getting people's opinions on things and and just because we say it doesn't mean it's it's 100% right we're giving our opinion and and, you know based on based on our experience that that's our thoughts on it and um that's what we're putting out but again if you have if you have a different opinion send us a message and, and we'd we'd love to trash it out with you and have a chat um If you've any other feedback on, on the podcast or if you've any messages or questions as usual, feel free to send them in and get in touch. As Shane said at the very start, we do love hearing from you and and getting that bit of feedback as well. Um, Other than that, enjoy the good weather that we're getting at the moment. Um, Continue to stay safe and, and keep following the guidelines. And uh, for me anyway, we'll talk to you again next week. Shane, do you want to say
1: goodbye? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Just echo all that. Definitely love to hear some thoughts on that there. Um, yeah, and just talking of competitive, I mentioned a little uh, competition we have going with our own team earlier on, so I'm going to go and maybe sit in a ice bat here because uh, my competitive nature pushes the body more than what it's supposed to do, so I'll, I'll probably scratch all a load of that stuff that I've said earlier on, um, but no, once again to everyone, yeah, as you said, these stay safe, keep doing what we're doing, there's light at the end of the tunnel in terms of getting back out onto a pitch and coaching and having our team in front of us, so keep doing what we're doing and we might just get there while the good weather is still here. So, um, yeah, talk to you next week. Good luck.